Welcome to an episode of Land Grant Holy Land Stick to Sports Podcast. My name is Matt Tamanini, and I am joined once again by the one and only Jordan Williams. Jordan, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you? Good, good. We are recording on Sunday, so happy Mother's Day to everybody out there, whether you are an actual biological mother or someone who just provides uh, the things that we traditionally consider um, a mother to do, the love and the nurturing. Um, We hope by the time you hear this, you had a wonderful day and you were celebrated uh, accordingly. Um, Jordan, I know you uh, kind of have plans or maybe don't have plans um, with your fiancé's family today huh uh yeah i i would imagine we do have plans i just don't know what they are <laughs> okay um, yeah if, fair if enough nothing fair else enough. if nothing else we're gonna go over there for dinner um i think you know typically um my fiance's dad cooks for um her okay. mom on and then she bakes her a cake um because my fiance has a bakery but oh, nice also it could be a little bit different. It, I think it depends, you know, just how comfortable people are going out and things like that. So I yeah. know we have plans. I just don't know exactly what they are. Um, what are your Mother's Day plans? Um, my um, parents are going to go to, since we live in Orlando, they're going to go to Epcot for a few hours. And then my brother and I are meeting them at their place um, for an afternoon. I, I don't know what the meal is called. It's like the afternoon equivalent of brunch. So it's like it's in between lunch and dinner. Is that like Lupper? Or well, I don't know what that meal is called, uh, but we're going to do that. And then we're going to FaceTime with my uh, sister who lives in Las Vegas um, to do like the whole Mother's Day present thing. So uh, a good little good little Sunday to paraphrase uh, old school and Will Ferrell. But um, if you are new to the show on Stick to Sports, we talk about the things around the periphery of Ohio State athletics, as well as the things that keep us distracted and entertained in between the games. Now, Jordan, we said that we are recording on Sunday, May 9th. That means that we are just about 22, 21 hours removed from the news that Ohio State did not land former All-SEC linebacker at Tennessee, Henry to to O. As many had kind of suspected but weren't sure if the logistics would work out, he has decided to continue his collegiate playing career at the University of Alabama. So I want to talk about this from two different perspectives, one on what it means to bring in a player who is expected to start onto a roster that already has guys that are there willing and able to take those positions and who have been waiting for them for a while. And then after we get onto that, I want to talk about the actual Ohio State linebacking core and what this means for who we will see um, on the field this coming fall. And then we'll get into some other topics before we uh, head off to do our respective Mother's Day stuff. But I know that this is something that you had actually brought up uh, initially, Jordan, that Ohio State has guys who have been waiting their turn to play linebacker behind uh, the Pete Werners and the Baron Brownings mm-hmm. and the Tough Borlands and stuff like those guys who we have been anxiously excited about seeing on the field. And with the potential that Henry Toto might end up coming to Columbus, you kind of started to feel bad for guys like um, Taraja Mitchell and Dallas Gant and Kavon Pope and to a lesser degree Cody Simon because he's a little younger. But mm-hmm. like you, it, you felt bad for them, even though you understand that like 
it's Ryan Day's job to bring in the best players to win. So what are your thoughts on the potential of bringing in players? Because it's different than like when they've got Justin Fields. Mm-hmm. There were no quarterbacks in Ohio State's roster then that were actually competent to play at the level Ohio State needed. But like the guys that are in, in Al Washington's linebacker room, like they're good. They're mm-hmm. athletes. They're highly recruited. But they, you know, if Henry had decided to come to Ohio State, one of them would have kind of been forced to stay in that backup role that they've been dealing with for years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because like, like we talked about last week, I always try to look at things from the player's perspective, but also, you know, I'm a fan and you want your team to be the best. And so it was really like, it was almost confusing for me because, you know, I've been hearing all these good things about Dallas Gantt and Taraja Mitchell and Kayvon Pope and all of these, like, you know, they were just they were just waiting and and you really can't be mad at it because all the linebackers in front of them if i remember correctly all of them got drafted right pete warner second round Baron yeah. Browning got drafted. You know, the ones who left the, the before got drafted. Like, everyone's playing in the league in, in some sort. So it's like, okay, it makes sense that they're waiting because it's Ohio State. It's an NFL factory. They were behind NFL linebackers. But then when it comes to the transfers, it's like, okay, so are they not as good as we thought they were? Is yeah. Henry this much better? Like, you know, it didn't, that didn't seem, and I know a lot of people, you know, felt like the position was thin. Um, and I kind of get that, but they're recruiting for it heavily. They had up until um, the, um, the one uh, linebacker went to Indiana. They had, you know, three in this recruiting class, I believe. Desan McCullough. Yeah. Uh, yep. Uh, they had three in this recruiting class. They, they had two or three the last one. Like, they're building that depth up. And so I'm just like, so is he that good or – are they trying to tell us something? Are they signaling like, hey, you know, th- this this roster, you know, these linebackers aren't as good as we thought they were. Um, in general, though, I do, as a philosophy, I do think, you know, sometimes it's what you have to do. When you look at the coaches who have succeeded more than Urban Meyer and even Ryan Day, but I don't want to necessarily bring that into him because this is his third year, but the yeah. uh, well, second full-time year, right? Uh, well, I mean, it depends on how you count 2020. I mean, he was the head coach in 2019. Then yeah, he had like yeah. the half year. So this is like so, his third season as the head coach. But like that last year was a weird one. Yeah. So this is his third season. So you can't really compare him. But like you look at the coaches who have succeeded at the highest level. You look at, you know, Ryan Day. You look at um, Dabo Sweeney. They do this. You know what I mean? Like. Uh, and most of the time it's with quarterback. We all know what happened with both of their quarterback situations. And when you have a Trevor Lawrence or um, you have a Tua Tagovailoa, like those kind of things happen. But, you know, to win at those levels, you you kind of have to be a little bit ruthless sometimes. And so from the coach's standpoint, I do understand, you know, if you have to build your roster, if you think there's a better player, then you you have to do that. But as a fan, it kind of makes me concerned because it's just like I, I just want the answer. Like I would love to ask Ryan Day or, you know, um, out Washington, was he this good? Was he that much better? Or are you scared? Are you worried? Because, you know, when you're bringing in transfers, a lot of times you think it's because there's a weakness. Like a lot of people expected them to bring in a transfer for cornerback because of what happened last year. It seemed a little bit weak, some injuries. It's really young. So that's how I feel. But ultimately, I think sometimes 
That's what you have to do. It's un- it, it, it sucks for the players, but thankfully with the transfer portal um, and it being open to everyone and you don't have to sit, if someone does come in and take your spot, you can still transfer to another place and you can still play. Um, and obviously that's not ideal because you're. I think sometimes we just look at the sports, but it's like you're transferring schools and credit and things like that. But um, I think that makes it a little bit easier sometimes to make that decision, to say we have a chance to upgrade um, – you, if you want to stay, we'll find a role for you. But also, we understand if you're going to leave and go find somewhere else to play. Yeah, I mean, I think it's obviously the coach's responsibility to the entire team to put the best players on the field to make sure that he gives everybody the opportunity uh, to win and to succeed. You can't necessarily just say, I'm staying loyal to the guys that I recruited or certain guys that I recruited because of seniority, and I'm going to let them play even though they aren't the best. We've seen how loyalty can backfire uh, at Ohio State, whether that's, I mean, mostly we've seen that in the coaching staff. We've seen that Urban Meyer, as we discussed many, many times here on Land Grant Hoyland, had a tendency to bring in coaches that he knew or he was friends with, including Bill Davis, who was the best man in his wedding. Um, Zach Smith, who was the grandson of his mentor, Earl Bruce. Um, and we saw how horribly badly those things went because he wasn't able to pull the trigger and get rid of those guys when it was clear that they weren't capable of producing at the level that which they were hired to coach and or in Zach Smith's case, when he was clearly not um, the type of person that should have been coaching college athletes and was not the type of person that you want representing the Ohio State University in the football program. It's a little different on the player side, I think, because you make these commitments to players and their families. If it's a coach, it's their job. They know and you they get into college coaching, there's a chance they're going to get fired. In fact, it's not a chance. You are going to get fired at some point. Oh, well, yeah, um, definitely. For the most part in your college coaching career. But when it comes to players, like you sit in, in living rooms during most years, you know, pandemic aside, and tell the, the families that we care about these players beyond just football. We want to do what's best for them beyond just what they can do for us on the field. And so it gets into this little murky area when you're like, when you've sat down in Dallas Gantz parents living room and said, we're going to take care of him. He comes to Ohio state. We're going to do everything we can to make him successful. We're at the point where so many people have talked about, and I'm just using Dallas Gantz as an example, because that's probably where Henry Toto would have played. Um, but like you it it's weird to me that it's that awkward situation and i've i've been a college coach um never had to deal with transfers too much um because it was in an olympic sport and which didn't transfer and it was before transfer portal and all that stuff but like it's just it's uncomfortable and and it makes me a little uneasy if Ohio State is going to go to this free agent model and I don't think they're going to do it regularly. Obviously, they've done it here or there, um, and and you know been fairly limited, but like it's just awkward. Like it it feels weird to me both as a fan as an as a former coach to continue to be saying we want to bring you in we care about you but if there's someone better out there we're going to bring you in and replace you even though i uh, logistically and and intellectually understand that that's 
part of the due diligence and the job requirements that every coach has. It just feels like a little bit of of moving the goalposts on whether or not we are treating these players as just interchangeable drill bits or as actual mm-hmm. human beings. No, and, and I agree with that 100% because like you said, you know, Ohio State has done it here and there. Um, and I personally hope um, that they're not someone that has to continue to do that for multiple reasons. I feel like if you're continually in the transfer portal, you're either not recruiting well or you're not developing well, um, which yeah. has never been Ohio State's issue. Um, but, you know, when you, when we look at the ones that they've had, like you already mentioned, Justin Fields, there wasn't a viable option. Trey Sermon, we weren't sure if there was a viable option. And at running back, you can play multiple people. So, like, there wasn't really too many people pushed down the depth chart. Um, you know, you could say potentially some of the other running backs, but they were also injured. There was still, you know, a two, yeah, three man rotation. We saw three or four running backs. So, but when it comes to linebacker, and especially in this situation, They've been waiting four years. Like the the three that you keep mentioning, Dallas Gantt, Taraja Mitchell, and Kayvon Pope, they're all seniors. This is all their third or fourth year. Um, and they've just been sitting patiently waiting. And that and that, that is something that I feel like you should uh you should I don't want to say reward, right? But like you maybe you should reward because yeah. In this instance, people are transferring all the time. And so you have three players who came in, four and five stars ready to start, thinking that, you know, every every high four and five star, right, I would imagine thinks they're going to be three and done. Well, they've been here for three years and they haven't – they've barely played. They've done yeah. special teams, some spot duty here and there. And so they didn't transfer. They stuck with it. You obviously recruited them. That should be three years of development. Like, they should be ready to play. And – if they're not, and if you're looking at transfers, like what is that? What is going on? Um, and like you said, like you're going and you're sitting in, in their houses, you're talking to their family, you've had them in the program for three years, you're seeing them every single day, and so I think that that I think there's a thin line, like you know, and I hope that Ohio State, you know, continues along the path of, you know, maybe one or two transfers and something that's really needed. I hope it doesn't become open season because, you know, as a fan, you want to see these, you you hear all the recruiting rankings, things like that. You, you see the videos uh, and you want to see them play. Um, and then on the human side of it, like they, they committed to you in this program and you're supposed to be develop, developing them as men. And when it's finally their time, you know, they've done everything else. They've been in school. They've maintained their grades. They're in all the workouts. They're in good standing because they're still on the roster. So when it's finally their time to get on the field, you're like, mm, we'll get someone else. Like yeah. you, you want to be like, you want to be a backup for another four or five years. Like you you can transfer to another school that you didn't commit to and uproot your life and everything that you have going on. So, it's definitely a thin line, and I hope, you know, I hope that Ohio State stays on the other side. I don't want, you know, them to have this reputation of being this ruthless program that throws, you know, young men aside. And, like, you, I mean, it was a perfect analogy, like, uses them as drill bits, interchangeable drill bits. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, we talk so much about loyalty in sports, and you have to be loyal to the program. You have to do – uh, all of these year-round conditionings, you have to make sacrifices. And a lot of cases, even at Ohio State, at all schools, you can't take the classes you necessarily want because of the way that the the schedules work for practices and, and the requirements that would need to be outside of, of class hours and all of that stuff. 
but we don't often see the loyalty go both ways. Um, it is specifically from player to team, not necessarily from team to player. And again, I understand that a coach's responsibility is to the team as a whole. You can't necessarily put the loyalty to one player above uh, the loyalty to the 100 other players on the team. So I'm not necessarily saying that, but there needs to be a bit of a more balance, I think, when we're dealing with the transfer portal, which I wholly support. Like, I think players should be able to go wherever they want without transferring and having to set out a rule or sit out a year like I am fully in support of that but I think we need to find ways for teams to uh, honor the commitments that they make during the recruiting process and do everything that they can to make sure that all of the players are treated well and you know Ohio State you know there's one other player that that I think Ohio State has really done well in the uh, in the uh, transfer portal with um and that was Jonah Jackson. We didn't talk about him, um, you know, but he came from Rutgers as a graduate transfer. So slightly different. Um, but it was another position of need on the offensive line. And he came in and, um, you know, really plugged a hole for a few years. But he again set back. There were other guys on that team that were younger that could have played. So I, I just wish that when we were talking about this stuff that. Um, as we start to see how this unfolds moving forward with the transfer portal, we're still pretty early on in that process. And um, obviously the 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 free year that, that the NCAA has granted because of COVID-19 where people can transfer without having to sit out unless there's a conference rule, which is what Henry Toto was dealing with in Alabama uh, in the SEC. Um, I, I think that there needs to be a little bit more thought put into how teams handle this. Um, because I don't know if we're where we should be yet uh, and how they deal with it. But um, all right, Jordan, let's move into the on the field stuff. We've talked about um, some of the guys who are going to be um, Ohio State's linebackers uh, next year. Um, Taraja Mitchell is, is almost uh, certainly going to start, um, at the will. What's interesting is that because of the introduction of the bullet, um, they're really only going to be playing two linebackers, uh, at a time. They're going to be playing a four, two, five for the most part. And Taraja is probably going to start at the will. That means guys like Dallas Gant and Cody Simon are probably going to be, um, you know, looking to battle it out for, um, that Mike, the middle linebacker position with some younger guys like Reed uh, Carrico and Tommy Eichenberg in there uh, as well. So Al Washington has been a hot name in a lot of coaching searches um, for the past few years, turning down a chance to go um, be a, a D1 defensive coordinator to continue to be the linebacker coach here at Ohio State. What do you think the linebackers are going to look like this year? And is this a year where we need to see some of the on-field development from Al Washington's groups? Because as good as Pete Warner kind of was, he still was playing alongside Tough Borland, who if these guys had to play behind Tough Borland, like that makes me concerned about how good they actually are. Yeah, this is this is of all years, you know, this is the year that we need to see the on field development. Uh, personally, I feel like there was some development between even the, the starters who had been starting for what feels like the last 10 years. Um, and, and I don't know if that was just not having Bill Davis. And so they were playing regular linebacker as they should have, or if Al Washington actually was changing their technique and changing some things. I do think they played a little bit better. And I think that, you know, I think you, you saw that on the field. 
But with these linebackers, we haven't really seen them. And so um, this is really the time where Al Washington has to make his money. And, you know, and and in college football today, I think sometimes people may undervalue linebackers, but linebackers and maybe I'm saying this because I played linebacker, but in my opinion, linebacker is one of the most important positions on the field. Um, You're You're totally biased. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's fine. I'll accept it. I, I'll accept being biased. But, yeah. it, you know, you really have to be able to do a lot in that space. And I think we've seen the decline of Ohio State's defense partially with the decline of the linebackers um, because we've had the first-round corners. We haven't necessarily had the first-round safety, but we've had the first-round corners. We've had the first-round defensive ends. We've had pretty good safeties, but we haven't really had the linebackers, and I think that they hold that group together. And so, um, you like like we already mentioned, you have these players who's been in the program for three, four years. Um, you have this full offseason where they're not fighting for time with Pete Warner and Tuff Borland and Baron Browning. Um, they have this whole summer, so – it's really going to be interesting, but not only that, you've already mentioned that they're young. I think the next two or three years is going to be interesting because what what does Cody Simon look like? What does Tommy Eisenberg look like? What does Reed Carrico look like? What does um, the, the linebackers who are coming in as freshmen this year, what do they look like and next year? Like He's really going to have to develop because you don't have the benefit of saying, this person's been here for three, four years. He's been a starter for three, four years. Uh, we can just throw him in. Like, we don't have to make the tough decision. We know that he's at least going to do the bare minimum. Now you really have to figure out who's good, who can play, manage that playing time. Um, and if one of the younger guys is better, put him in there. Like, we talked about that loyalty and how sometimes being over loyal can hurt. Um, and so I really yeah. hope that, you know, he takes an open look at the, at the linebacker room and finds that good rotation, especially with only playing two. I'm a huge fan of the four two five. Uh I think, you know, with the way teams are playing, you need that. And with the people that they're rumoring at that position, you know, it's also gonna allow us to be flexible. And we have the linebackers for when we do play, you know, potentially Iowa or Wisconsin or something like that. And we have to go back to, you know, a more three or four linebacker look. But this is this is the this is the year that Al Washington makes his money. I think he can do it. I think he's a really good coach. I think we have a lot of talent, um, but it's it's going to be it's going to be necessary for the linebackers to take a huge step up, not only this year but in the next couple of years. Yeah, and I think it's important to mention that even though we are looking at this bullet position as kind of being a non linebacker, the guy who I think is probably going to end up starting there is Craig Young who came in as a linebacker. So like, it's not like if you had to bring him up to play a more traditional four, three, he's not capable of doing that. So while, yeah, exactly. He's got the size, he's got the experience. Now, if you start putting guys like Ronnie Hickman in there and then he has to do it on the fly, that could be a little bit more problematic, but it's football. You can rotate based off position or based off each play, you can rotate guys in at different positions. You can change from week to week. So like, I think this is actually a good, I think it's a few years late. So I'm not sure that it's necessarily the perfect defense to set up against the Clemson's and Alabama offenses that Ohio state's going to have to deal with in the postseason. This might be a generation of evolution short, um, but I'm glad that they are at least doing this. And I think that um, the linebackers, are very much going to be a position of interest this year. We've spent so much time focusing on the defensive backs, but it's a lot like you were kind of saying, 
when Bill Davis was the linebacker coach, there went through a fairly decent dip in recruiting for a few years. The same thing happened when Kerry Combs was in the NFL and the two or three different linebacker or the uh, defensive back coaches uh, before Jeff Halfley um, didn't recruit as well as we were used to seeing. And so we're kind of getting out of that cycle now where we're dealing with their recruits being the guys who are prepared to play. We're starting to get into like the year or so of Halfley and starting to get into some more of the younger uh, Combs recruits from his return. So I'm hoping from the middle and back part of the defense, we start to see some young players. That's why, like, I don't know if I said it on this show or another one, like at this point, like I am fine with everybody at linebacker and especially defensive back, more so defensive back, because um, those guys at linebacker haven't had a shot yet. But like, just play the young guys. Like, just yeah. just let the yeah. young guys play. Let's see what we got. If if they're not ready, that's fine. Move on to the next one. But I would much rather just see the young guys, uh, the young guys play. Yeah, and I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to this year because. I don't I don't know if we just don't say this anymore as Ohio State fans, if it was maybe a trestle thing. But, you know, I always think of the silver bullets and like when our defense was dominating. And yeah. I understand that defense doesn't really dominate no more. That's just how college football works. But um, when I think about that, the thing the first thing that I'm not sure about you, but the first thing that comes to my mind is linebackers. Um, yeah, and totally. I just I miss, you know when it wasn't just our defensive ends making plays in the backfield. Like, I miss seeing Ryan Chazier, you know, take a screen and tackle him five yards behind the line of scrimmage. I think that's what we've been missing. Our linebackers have been competent. You know, Pete Warner can do a lot of things, but we weren't always getting those explosive plays. We weren't getting that linebacker that was shooting the gap and tackling the running back as soon as he got the ball. You know, it was really, you know, stopping, you know, stopping them at the line of scrimmage, stopping them at, you know, one or two yards, things like that, you know, and, Obviously, in some cases, giving up long touchdowns, but that's what I, I want to see the the big plays come back from the linebackers. I want to see that explosiveness where, where you see someone, he sees it, he's there in point two seconds, and the play is over. And I just feel like we haven't had those linebackers in so long, especially not more than one of them. Um, and I think that that I mean that I don't I don't think I know that affects your defense not having you know someone at that position or multiple people at that position who can reset the line of scrimmage, who can change the game, who can make those big plays, um, especially not like Baron Browning, you know, where they would put him down on the line of scrimmage as a rush package. Like that was great. And he's going to do that in the NFL for a long time. But I'm talking about your traditional linebacker who's sitting five to seven yards deep, who can read a play and make plays in the backfield and really help change the game. And so Hopefully we have that with some of these young guys. Hopefully our Washington can get us there. Um, but I'm, I'm really with you. You know, I'm really excited to see the young guys play. I'm really excited to give them a chance, especially because if you follow recruiting and you believe in recruiting, that dip, we're back on, we're back, uh, you know, we're back getting four totally. and five star linebackers. We're back getting four and five star DBs, but they're still young, but it's like, okay. They're four and five stars, though. Like, let them play. Let them get that time. Let's build it back up. Like, let's get let's get back to the factory where every year we know there's a first round there's a first round corner coming. There's a there's a first or second round linebacker coming. Like, and I think we have the players. They just have to get on the field. Yeah, it it should be exciting. I'm looking forward to it. And Ohio State's going to need to have some uh, defensive progression to make uh, yes. to make a, an actual legitimate shot at knocking off. Uh, Alabama or whomever they end up might playing if they do make it to the college football playoff. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, well, let's transition real quick to talk about the story of the week in basketball. And that is the commitment, non-commitment, waiting game having to do with Efton Reed, um, who is a five-star center out of Virginia who actually played at IMG Academy in Florida. Um, and originally, he was supposed to commit um, on April uh, 15th. His mother put out the tweet, said, Mama Bear has spoken, he's committing. He didn't commit on that day. Uh, and then it ended up, you know, just kind of going radio silent. Earlier last week, his mother again came out and said, for real this time, he's committing on Friday, May 7th at noon. Efton retweeted it and said, uh, it's for real this time with a couple laughing emojis and some eyeball emojis. We all anxiously waited around noon, ready to see if he committed to Ohio State, who had been rumored to be one of his finalists, and then it never happened. We waited until 1 o'clock. Never happened. We waited until 2 o'clock. Never happened. He put up at one point a, uh, a tweet that just said, patience, y'all, with the praying hands emoji. 5 o'clock never happened. We're recording on Sunday. Efton Reed is still not committed. <laughs> and what's interesting about this is, is he's a five-star center. Ohio State is in desperate need uh, of a center to come in and play. They haven't had a real stud center in many, many years. Um, he's an interesting guy, Jordan, because like he has not played the recruiting game. Like He doesn't talk about his recruiting. Mm -hmm. He doesn't talk to anybody. The rumors are that teams like Ohio State, Pitt – um, Florida State, maybe even Virginia or North Carolina are in the mix potentially as his finalist, but nobody knows. Like it's a rare thing when 24-7 sports has zero crystal balls for a five-star player who is getting ready to commit, presumably. So, like, there was a ton of jokes. We poked some fun at it um on Land Grant Holy Land's uh Twitter account, but what I think we tried to do is make it that we're not like we're not begrudging this kid to take all the time he needs to make his decision. Um, it is funny. Like my actual hope is like behind him coming to Ohio state. My hope is that he just goes to the G league because this is clearly like a really difficult decision for him and his family. So just go make money instead. Like, so I'm fine with him taking as much time as he wants, but it's getting kind of ridiculous to continue to say I'm recruiting now and then not doing it. And then saying, oh, just kidding, but I'm recruiting now for real. And then uh, it doesn't happen again. So uh, what are your thoughts on this whole thing? As somebody who works in higher education and knowing how important like the college decision is, like what are your thoughts on it on whether it's Efton specifically or just the whole process of trying to pick a school for a student and then adding in the athlete side of it as well? Yeah, I think um, I, when, I, when I look at this, I think back to, you know, one, that is a life changing decision, especially especially for basketball players. Um, 
because it's really one year and you have to go to a place that if you're a five star, you're expecting you're expecting to go to the league. Right. And so you have to go to a place that you feel like can develop you as quickly as possible, um, as well as possible to get you prepared to go to the league. Um, And so and then you're looking at the fact that you're making this this decision in a pandemic. And so you haven't gotten to visit the schools um, and. I was obviously nowhere close to a five-star recruit, but when I was getting recruited and thinking back, I couldn't imagine committing to a place I've never seen. Um, the places that I didn't get to visit, I didn't even consider recruiting. I didn't even consider committing to. And so, you know, these, these young men are making life-changing decisions, uh, decisions that are going to uh, eventually affect them financially because they are that good and they are expected to go to the league and make money and, and change that for their family. So I understand how it can be a hard decision. And I think sometimes, you know, the recruiting grind of having to announce online and everyone having access to your social media and things like that um, can be uh, tough. Like we already saw, we had some people who were, you know, making really, really, you know, um, yeah unnecessary comments about an 18 year old, you know, like you're, you're a grown adult and you know, you're, you're talking about this kid who is a kid. He's 18, um, on online. And that doesn't, that doesn't really make sense to me. Like I, you have to have some compassion and some understanding for the decision that he's making. But at the same time, I do think that, you know, we talked about this. I do think you can criticize a little bit because if you're not ready, that's fine. But don't tell everyone you're ready and give them a time and, and do all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then when everyone's looking, you're like patience. And it's like, okay, but like it's five, you said 12, you also said two weeks ago. So, you know, we are being patient and that does affect a lot of people. Uh, so, you know, yeah. I, I see it from both sides. Uh, ultimately I hope that he does make a decision uh, from the, um, from the coaches and the, and the, and the team side, I would be a little nervous. Um I would be a little nervous because if it's this hard for him to make the decision, it's like wherever he chooses, does he actually want to be here? Um, and so yeah. I hadn't personally thought of that, but I think your recommendation of going to the G League may be the best because, you know, recruiting is hard and making that decision is hard, but it, it doesn't typically feel like it's this hard. But again, maybe it is because of the pandemic. I mean, we have yeah. um, JT Tuomalau who yeah. hasn't, I mean, Have we ever seen this this with a football player? Like he's not going to recruit until summer. He's not going to commit until summer. Like he's going to commit. And then in a, what a month or so attend fall camp. I don't know if we've ever seen that. So I think, I think we got to give a little bit of grace because it's a pandemic, but also it's like, come on, you know, like like we're, we're being patient, but don't, don't tease us. Don't announce. Don't don't lead us on. Don't, don't do that whole game. But like you said, like this impacts a lot of other people, including coaches and other players. Ohio state's in an interesting position because of the transfer of Ibrahim Diallo. They do have a scholarship open. Uh, but what's weird about it is Ohio or um, uh, men's basketball is a 13 scholarship sport. Women's basketball is 15. Uh, men's is 13. But because of the extra pandemic year that the NCAA granted, Ohio State actually has 14 scholarship players, but only 12 of them uh, are counting towards scholarship because uh, Kyle Young and Jimmy Sotos are would have exhausted their eligibility last season, but they got the extra year. Uh, because of the NCAA rule. So they have one scholarship spot open, but they're actually over the number of players on scholarship they would have in a normal year. And that's confusing, I understand. But they have a spot, 
but they don't need it. And if, and this is something that Connor uh, Lamans, who is our basketball analyst for Langer and Hoyland, wrote about, and I've also heard um, Columbus Dispatch basketball beat writer Adam Jardy say the same thing. Like, if Efton Reed came to Ohio State, I don't know how many minutes there would be for him to play, and that's not a good recipe for a five-star guy. And people on Twitter do not like it when we say that, that there's not a lot of minutes for a five-star center because they're like, well, there's no center on Ohio State's team other than that Joey Brunk guy. Look, EJ Liddell, if he comes back, obviously the whole thing changes if EJ Liddell does not come back to Ohio State, which I actually am kind of starting to think he's not coming back, but that's another discussion for another day. But if EJ Liddell comes back, He's not playing center. He is trying to get to the NBA as a four or a big three even. Um, So he's not playing center. If he comes back, it is with the understanding from Chris Holtman that he's going to play the four. Kyle Young is probably going to play the four next year and maybe serve as like a, a spot duty five if necessary. I think they will try to limit his exposure because of his injury history and concussion history. So I think Kyle Young is probably not going to be a starter. And if he's not a starter or if he is a starter, he won't necessarily be playing as many minutes as he has in the past. Um, but then you've got Joey Brunk who came in with the expectation and and I don't want to say guarantee, but he came in with the idea. He transferred to Ohio State in his final year of eligibility so that he could actually play. He's not going to come and sit the bench and not play. So he's going to get some minutes. But I honestly feel like Zed Key is going to be the guy who's going to get the majority of the minutes at the five. He's the same height for the most part as EJ Liddell, maybe an inch taller. He's only 6'9 or whatever. He needs to put on some weight, but I feel like he's going to be the number one five. And if Efton Reed did commit or this uh, NAIA guy who was a stud at that level looking to transfer to Division One, EJ Onyu, if he somehow committed to Ohio State, he is a Cleveland area native. Like, I just feel like that might just be too many guys, even though it is a position of need, to make sure that everybody is getting the minutes they need. And it kind of goes back to the conversation we had about football, Jordan. Like, who are you being loyal to if you've got like four players in the front court who are expecting minutes and then you bring in a fifth? And, and and on top of that, one thing that you have to think about in um, basketball, I guess technically you have to think about it in football when you look at what year that player is. Um, but this is a five-star center. So you're imagining, and he's imagining, he's only going to be there for one year. And yeah. in basketball, that's not even a full year, you know, because the season's over in, in March. So he's going to be there from September to March, six months, right? Um, and so in Ohio State, whether you feel like they should be or they shouldn't be, they're not, they're really a development program. Like Ohio State is not a one and done program. Um, really, most of the Big Ten is not a one and done. So to your point, if he's committing, he's expecting to start. He's expecting to really be the focal point, And then he wants to go to the league. And so it's mm-hmm. like, is one, is there minutes for him? Two, are you willing or are you willing and able to make him a focal point that he wants? Um, and three, what happens to everyone else if you do that? And so when you put it in that terms, it's also like, is this even the best decision for him? Like as much as we would like to see it and everyone has been clamoring because we finally want Holtman to get his five star. Um, and he's been so close and he's doing so well in recruiting. But you really look at it like in every decision, in every in every way, and who all it affects and how it affects the player himself. It's like, is is this the best? Is this the best decision for him? Um, should he come to Ohio State 
and have to fight and potentially, you know, potentially not maybe lose money, but at least put back his money because is he going to be a one and done? Is he going to get enough time? Is he going to get enough attention at Ohio State? Um, and I'm not sure how many five stars they do in basketball. I know roughly how many they do in football. But if you're a five star in basketball, you're expecting to go to the league. Like you're not expecting yeah. to to play for three years and really grind it out. Like no, you want that one and done. You want to be in next year's draft. You want to be making millions, signing that Nike contract. So. I'm Googling really quickly to see the number of uh, five stars. It, it, it's basically the five stars represent 1% of basketball players um, who are two stars and above. That doesn't help me. That doesn't give me <laughs> how many there are. I don't know. But it's a very yeah, small in, number. Yeah, I know in, in football, fo- it's, it's roughly 32. Yeah, because um, they want to do f- guys who project to be first round guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's the same in basketball. I feel like it's not. I want to say it's actually like. 25 I, I that could be wrong i don't, don't listen to me i'm a moron i don't know what i'm talking about um anyway um so interesting conversations about um recruiting and loyalty and transfers and stuff this week jordan i i think that this is something that is going to have to continue to evolve with the more that we see not only of the transfer portal becoming a part of the game it's even more of a part of the game in college basketball than it is uh, in college football, ask the women's basketball team. The high state women's basketball team has just been living and dying by the transfer portal over the last few years. Uh, but the more that the NCAA also adapts their rules and how transfers work, um, I would not be surprised if we see this one year free transfer thing become permanent. And which I think, again, as I said earlier, it benefits the players. I'm all for making the rules to benefit the players. And if they feel like they need to transfer, um, let them transfer. Is it, but anyway, is it not permanent? I, I believe they made it permanent last no, month, right? No, that was a rule just to make it something for this one year. Whether or not it is made permanent has to be determined later. That is just currently for this one off season. So whether or not it gets made permanent in the future is still up in the air. I feel like it has to, like, I don't think you can put that genie back in the bottle. Um, Yeah, but we'll see. Um, All right. So Jordan, we didn't do this last week because it was your first week on the show, but one tradition that Tia and I had when we were doing stick to sports was that we made a recommendation of something at the end of each episode, whether it was a TV show, a movie, an album, a meme, a TikTok, a book, whatever. It can be anything that your heart desires. Um, we try to do that. Um, we're going to bring that back, and I think you're re- you've got a recommendation for us, yep. don't you? All right, what do you got? So I'm I'm going to start with the heavy hitter, in my opinion. Um, okay. My personal favorite TV show of all time, uh, Sons of Anarchy. Oh. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. So my recommendation is going to be Sons of Anarchy. It is one of the best shows that I've ever seen. And I've watched The Wire. I'm watching The Sopranos right now. I've watched Game of Thrones, loved it, you know, but Sons of Anarchy is a very well written show. It's one of the few shows that I've seen that goes five, six, seven seasons and still has a good ending. And it's really just entertaining the entire time. So if you've never seen Sons of Anarchy, um, just a, I guess a synopsis, it's about a biker gang. So if you're into, you know, like, um, you know, gangs, bikers, some violence, different things like that. Uh, but they do a great job of character development. Like, yeah, it's, it's a great show. So my recommendation is Sons of Anarchy. I hope that you see it. If you've like, if you've watched it or if you do watch it, please let me know. Um, I would love to talk about it. I try to get everyone to watch that show. 
So, and that was on FX. So that should be available to stream on Hulu because of FX's yeah. deal there. Uh, are you on uh, the Mayans MC train too, which is the spinoff of Sons of Anarchy? So, no, partially because <laughs> I don't keep cable uh, and uh, I don't do good with week to week things. But I have been meaning to watch it. And I think they have enough seasons now that I can go on Hulu and find it. So I'm binge, going to yeah. get to it. Um, but I was I, but I was really excited when it came out. So it's not that I, I wasn't looking forward to it. I'm a little bit cautious because spinoffs aren't always great. And my expectations yeah. are really high because I obviously love Sons of Anarchy. But I am going to watch it. And I, and I hope that they've, they've done a good job with it. All right. That's fair. That's fair. Um, all right. So I'm also going to do a TV show for mine this week. It is going to be the complete opposite of Sons of Anarchy, which is fine. Uh, that's why we're giving you as many different options as humanly possible. Um, it is a new show that debuted this week on Peacock. If you don't know what Peacock is, that's OK. Nobody else does either. It's the Comcast streaming service, like spinoff of NBC streaming service, which is available if you have uh, Comcast cable or it, it can be its own standalone um, streaming service. It is a show called Girls 5 Eva. It is um, created by Meredith Scardino and executive produced by her, as well as Tina Fey and uh, Robert Carlock, who are the geniuses behind 30 Rock and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. It is about a 90s girl group that had like one hit and then broke up and then in like modern times um, have a have a song, a song sampled by a rapper. And that kind of starts to come back. But they're all like just normal women now. One's a dentist. One works in a restaurant. Um, you know, all of these kind of things. It's got a great cast. Uh, Sarah Bareilles, Busy Phillips, uh, the legendary Paula Pell, uh, Tony Winner um, for Hamilton, Renee Elise Goldsberry is in it. Being a theater guy that I am, uh, having worked in theater for a long time, like there's a ton of theater people uh, in this show, which is a lot of fun for me, both as like stars, recurring stars and guest stars. Um, it's really funny. Um, and I think what's interesting about it is, is like, coming out of the time when we've now seen like that um um oh what was the britney documentary called the free britney documentary i can't remember what it was called uh but anyway after we've seen that documentary like it kind of opens your eyes to what these stars uh went through at the end of the 90s and into the 2000s which is like i'm their age i'm the age of these characters um it's really funny it's it's hilarious it's very good it's only eight episodes and it's all streaming on peacock now so sons of anarchy girls five eva two very different shows but two things that we recommend nonetheless all right that is all that we have for today thank you for listening to this episode of land grant holy land stick to sports podcast if you're finding this episode on our website don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your daily dose of podcasting goodness last week we started a whole new slate of podcasts here in the feed with great voices, great perspectives. We will only continue to add to that in the coming days, weeks, and months. So make sure you subscribe so that you can get all of the different LGHL shows downloaded as soon as they are available. Also, as always, follow Land Grant Holy Land on Twitter at LandGrant33. And you can find me on Twitter at BWWMatt. Your your Highness, where can people find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on just about all social medias at Black underscore Royalty 8. Okay, again, is your Highness the proper term that I'm supposed to use for royalty or your, you know, my liege or whatever? Honestly, I'm not sure. Uh, so, okay. you know, wh- whatever, whatever works, right? Whatever feels comfortable. Okay, have your... 
have your steward or your your whatever get back to me and let me know. <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you for all of you that are still listening to this ridiculousness. We will talk to you soon. And as always, go Bucks.